Welcome to Street Talk Theology with Pastor Dominic Grimaldi. Pastor Dom went from a life of organized crime to federal prison. There God saved him and set him free. Soon after his release, he attended seminary and received his master's degree and is now the senior pastor of Desert Sky Baptist Church, where he serves with a passion for biblical theology right here in Casa Grande. Now let's join our host, Pastor Dominic Grimaldi. Pastor Dominic Grimaldi here with Street Talk Theology and where we take theology and bring it to the streets. A little something special today. Today you'll hear the first part of a sermon that I preached on the Adika, the binding of Isaac. And I pray this sermon will encourage you and challenge you at the same time. So with no further ado on Street Talk Theology, we have the first part of the sermon called The Binding of Isaac. May the God of all grace grant us repentance as we repent of our sins, knowing that he's faithful and just to forgive us of our sins, for which we do not deserve. Let me recap quickly uh, where we're at here in Genesis. This is a really pivotal, pivotal section in Scripture when we get to Genesis 22 in a few seconds. Um, and let me just, uh, let me say this first. Last week we mentioned God preserved Abraham and Sarah's marriage. He preserved their marriage by intervening and telling Abimelech, if you touch Sarah, you're a dead man. And God also protected the unborn. We spoke about that, the promised seed that would come from Abraham's loin. And in today's world, we spoke about the sanctity of marriage and the protection of the unborn, a still highly debated frontline issues. We spoke about that. And then Abimelech blamed Abraham. Remember, he blamed Abraham for putting him in this precarious situation. But God held Abimelech responsible. And basically said, if Abraham don't pray for you, you'll have no offspring. So Abraham prayed for Abimelech and God responded showing that God is the author of life and death. For which Abimelech responded by giving gifts and rights to Abraham, land rights to Abraham. And then Abraham and Abimelech made Peace. Just kind of recapping there. In fact, Abimelech lines up with his thinking, lines up his thinking with the, with the, with God, with Abraham's God, and enters into covenant, whereas mentioned that gifts were given as markers to remember this covenant loyalty that they had together. And then Abraham realized all that God had done for him. And he worshipped God under the stately, remember that uh, uh, that Tamaris tree, which gave Abraham plenty of shade of picture of God's protection over him and his family. And I just, I want to say this, and I want to speak to myself first. When Abraham came to the realization of that God all along was protecting him, Governing him, guiding him, shaping him, molding him. I want us, even ourselves, in the talking about sanctification this morning in Bible study, 
God looks at the finished product in Christ. He looks at the finished product. Yes, we labor, we struggle, we stumble, we fall more times than not. And again, I don't want to beat a dead horse, so to speak. But the biblical writers, especially in the life of Abraham, focuses on the finished product. We're going to get to a point in the text this morning that at times could be misunderstood if we're looking at it let me let me let me put it this way. Let me try to be introductory here. I just want to get back to just a quick recap, but I want to be a little introductory here if I can. God starts us on a process. The first thing is we spoke about in Bible study, you get born again, you get regenerated. God in his kindness, you know, by his spirit, opens your eyes to the truth, which you never had before. You couldn't realize truth, even Pilate would is truth, but then by God's grace he gives you this regenerative spirit and then you start recognizing truth, biblical truth. And as you progress in acknowledging this truth, God brings us to a place over time where the question is going to be asked, What's the most important thing in your life? And I think as we study this morning, when we get to this 22nd division of Genesis, I think Abraham has traveled a course where he's got another step in this, if I may, Dana, in this sanctification process before he can move on and before Abraham can pass the baton. So keep that. I know that's a lot. And, and, and I just want you to keep that in your watch pocket as we move on. So Abraham's seed is protected, namely Isaac. But God is not finished with Abraham as covenant loyalty to God by Abraham will now be the author's focus. Let me say this. The people of God lived under absolute truth. There was no changing of truth. But when they capitulated with the culture, God would step in. Now, Bork said something interesting. I want, man, if you can get this. When I seen this quote, I'm trying to think of the, I'm trying to think of the, um, I, I don't have the book on me. I, I don't want to misquote Bork here, but, but let me, I'm going to quote him, but I don't want to, I don't want to misquote the book. I want you to hear this. As behavior worsens today, the community adjust to its standards so that conduct, once thought of being wrong, even criminal, is no longer deemed so. That is why the people of God must not serve two masters. Just hear that again, just for a second. 
The community, as behavior worsens today, the community adjusts to its standards so that the conduct, once thought of being wrong, even criminal, is no longer deemed so. That is why the people of God must not serve two masters. Because today, 50 years ago, what was deemed criminal or even in, in almost insane, today is deemed natural, normal. But not so for the people of God. But not so for the people of God. Lest we capitulate with the culture. And we start adhering to this culture. This is a huge, this is called the, what we're going to talk about this morning is called the Akidah. The Hebrew word for binding. This is the binding of Isaac. We have to understand what God is doing in Abraham's life here. And we're going to get help if we are true readers of Scripture and watch the wording that the divine author uses. Now, I'm going to help you, if I may, as we read this Adikha, as we read this binding of Isaac, I'm going to help you in the narrative to make some pointers out for you. Because Abraham's worldview is going to be challenged in this text. I'm afraid at times... I'm afraid at times we don't... I'm going to mention this again. I'm afraid at times we don't let the Old Testament breathe on its own. The Old Testament needs to breathe on its own. I wanted to breathe on its own this morning. Chapter 22, verse 1. The the binding or the adaka of Isaac. I'm going to help you as we read this narrative. Now, it happened after these things that God tested Abraham. Abraham don't know this. This is the divine author. God tested Abraham. And he said to him, Abraham, and he said, here I am. Very important verse. Then he said, God said, take your son, your only son, whom you what? Talk to me. Love. Good, Nikki number two. Isaac. And go forth to the land of Moriah and offer him there as a burnt offering on one of the mountains of which I tell you. Land of Moriah, one of the mountains. So Abraham rose early in the morning, saddled his donkey, took two of his young men with him and Isaac his son, and he split wood for the burnt offering and arose and went to the place of which God had told him. On the third day, Abraham lifted up his eyes and saw the place from a distance. Very important verse here. 
And Abraham said to his young men, stay here with the donkey and I and the boy go over there and we will worship and we will return to you. Then Abraham took the wood and the burnt offering and put it on Isaac, his son. And he took in his hand the fire and the knife. So the two, and the very important verse, I know I'm saying that a lot, but these are, look. So the two of them, what? Walked on what? Together. Please hear that. Then Isaac spoke to Abraham, his father, and said, My father, and he said, Here I am, son. And he said, Behold the fire and the wood, but where is the lamb for the burnt offering? And Abraham said, God will provide for himself the lamb for the burnt offering, my son. So the two of them walked together. Very important, repeated in the Hebrew. Then they came to the place of which God had told him, and Abraham built an altar and there and, and arranged the wood and bound his son, Akadah, he bound his son, Isaac, and put him on the altar on top of the wood. And Abraham stretched out his hand and took the knife to slay his son. But the angel of Yahweh called to him from heaven and said, Abraham, Abraham. And he said, here I am. And he said, do not stretch out your hand against the boy and do nothing to him. For now I know that you fear God, since you have not withheld your son, your only one from me. Something's missing there. Something's missing. Be attentive. Let me say that again. And he said, do not stretch your hand against the boy and do nothing to him. For now I know that you fear God, since you have not withheld your son, your only one, from me. Something's missing. And Abraham lifted up his eyes and saw, behold, there was a ram after it had been caught in a thicket by its horns. And Abraham went and took the ram and offered it up for a burnt offering in the place of his son. And the name, and Abraham called the name of that place, Yahweh will provide, or Jehovah Jireh, as it is said this day, in the mount of Yahweh it will be provided. Then the angel of Yahweh called to Abraham a second time from heaven, and said, by myself I have sworn, declares Yahweh, because you have done this thing and have not spared your son, your only one, something missing again. Indeed, I will greatly bless you. I will greatly multiply your seed as the stars of the heaven and as the sand which is on the seashore, and your seed shall possess the gate of his enemies. In your seed all nations of the earth shall be blessed because you have listened to my voice. Watch this verse. So Abraham returned to his young men, and they arose, there's that word again, and they walked together. And they walked together to Beersheba, and Abraham lived in Beersheba. Now it happened after these things that it was told to Abraham, saying, Behold, Milcah also was born children to your brother Nahor, Uz his firstborn, and Buzz his brother, and Temuel, the father of Aram, and Keset, and Hazo, and Pildash, and, and Jidlath, and Bethuel, and Bethuel was the father of Rebekah, 
very important. These eight milk are bought to Nahor, Abraham's brother, and his concubine whose name was Reumah, um, Re also bought Tabah and Geham and Tahash and Makah. Now, how many people have read that story before? Does anybody have a problem with that story? Interesting, interesting story, right? Interesting narrative, I should say. Now, we want to be good readers of the text, right? I know we've heard a number of sermons on this text, right? I'm sure we have. But we got to remember the Bible is not written to us, it's written for us, right? Now, Davis in verse 1 makes a brilliant deduction right off the bat. We're told that this is a test. But Abraham don't know it's a test. In fact, Abraham's world, this is a challenge on Abraham's worldview. Because at that time and place in history, like Bacham depicts, there was no mandate or law on human sacrifice. In fact, in the time that Abraham lived, human sacrifice was done, but of course not by Abraham. Right, so we want to get that out of the way, right? Yeah, obviously later in Scripture it would be an abomination unto the Lord to sacrifice humans. But here again, Abraham does what the Lord mandates. We see that in verses 2 and 3. Now, I want to be careful, because I want the Old Testament to breathe on its own. I want the Old Testament to have life on its own. Now, we're also told that the place where this sacrifice would happen is one of the mountains in where? Mount Moriah. Right, verse 2. Where it could be where David encountered the angel of the Lord after God had stopped the plague. Or, or it could be the place that Solomon could have been to the temple. Or it could be the same place that the Lord Jesus was crucified. We don't know for sure. But please hear this. If we're to look at this text, but please hear this. If this is the way we look at this text, then I'm afraid we're not letting the Old Testament breathe on its own. Corvilla rightly states we have to be careful when the Old Testament text cannot stand alone and speak to Christians today. Believe me, it certainly can and will. Please hear that. I know that there's a I know there's a huge words. Uh, churches today are called New Testament churches. I don't know what that means. I just don't. Because as far as I know, the church has two testaments. The Old and the New Testament. So we are a church of the Old and the New Testament. And here, I, and this is such an important section of scripture and I know people run right to the New Testament with it be careful let's let this breathe on its own we don't want to marginalize the Old Testament there's a danger in that in other words we must look now hear this we must look at the window of the Old Testament not through it because it does stand alone and now, with that being said, we can look at New Testament illusions. We always do. But we must let the Old Testament again breathe on its own. And then see reflections of that window later, but not before. 
I know I'm being a little dramatic in this, but I think I, I want to give you an understanding of how important what we're reading about Abraham here. There's something really, really important that we need to grasp. That I need to grasp. Let me, let me say that better. And then me first, you second. In fact, as we study the, this text, there is a lot more to see. One of the questions that Davis talks about is the perplexity of God, the mystery of this text. Meaning, what is God doing here with Abraham? What is he doing? Let's not run to the New Testament. Let's, let's make this speak on its own. As we've discussed this concerning God's providence, sometimes we don't get the picture until the ninth inning, Charlie, of the game. Which will happen in this text, as we will see. We also know that God's ways are not always. Here is a very viable explanation of that doctrine. We see specifically in verse 3 that Abraham obeys. And I think he obeys because he realizes something that we may not. And Bodhi Bakum said this. That true worship, true worship requires sacrifice. Now, I want to be careful here. I want to bring this to our field. I know we like to call the songs that Nikki prays about and puts on the screen each work each week. We call that what? Worship. But true worship in the Bible requires sacrifice. Nothing wrong with singing and praising the Lord, Nikki. We love that. But is that true worship? See, that's the question. Is that true worship? Because worship requires, talk to me, sacrifice. Just trying to move the narrative along so we can understand what's going on. Yes, we sing songs, we call that worship. But here worship takes on a different meaning for Abraham. Because Abraham knows that worship of, worshiping God brings something to the table. Look at later in Leviticus. Let's, let me, um, let me just fall down on my own six yard line, 30 yards. Let me just punt it for a second here. As we look later on in Leviticus, we see many sacrificial animals used in the worship of Yahweh. They brought something to the Lord. That meant something to them. And look at the sacrifice that God is asking here. And that is Abraham's only begotten son, whom he loves. And we have to be careful of bringing this right to the New Testament, because it's really not mentioned that much. Only one time I'll get to that. It's not the way that we hear it preached, and, and it's okay. It's okay. It's okay. In fact, this may shock some people, but Curaville rightly states that this text is never mentioned in the New Testament concerning Christ. How many sermons have we heard with this text concerning Christ? We must let the Old Testament breathe. 
Because there's a lot here, as we will see, and there's more than meets the eye. Now, Matthews makes us think of it this way. So let's look, talk about what Dana spoke about in Bible study, a little bit about sanctification, a little bit about moving in the things of God. This is the end of the Abraham cycle. It's getting close. It's getting close where the baton has to be passed. So let's just recapitulate a little bit of how Abraham got here. Just a little bit. I'm not going to take up a lot of your time with this. The first call of Abraham when he was living in Haran requires Abraham to leave his former circles of security. Remember in Genesis 12 we talked about, hey, Abraham goes out to his wife and we're leaving. Where are you going? Oh, I don't know. We're leaving. God said I have to leave. Who's God? What? We're leaving. Abraham was called out of the Ur of Chaldees with a future hope. And now in the perplexity of God, the Lord requires Abraham to relinquish that future hope by offering Isaac as a sacrifice, which would not make any sense. Now, this is the climax of Abraham's life, as mentioned. We must remember in Abraham's context... Isaac would be the heir of the promise, but something else must be established first. Again, there's a lot going on. We don't want to, we don't, we, there's a lot going on, and we don't want to be missing the point of this section of Scripture. But there's something that may be escaping us, so let us kind of dig a little more. Look at the verbs in verse 3. Abraham rose, he saddled, he took, he split, he arose. He went to the place that God had told him. Now on the third day, verse 4, Abraham looked up and saw death at a distance. It's funny. You know, the, if you, the writer of Hebrews concerning this text, I'm, 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 again, I'm, I'm going to let this breathe on its own, but I just want to just give you a reiteration. The writer of Hebrews in, 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 in the divine order believed that, believed that uh, Abraham believed that God would raise Isaac from the dead. That's the only real reference. Um, again, it, we, we've, let, let me just say that. But, but, but here Abraham look up, looked up and he saw death at a distance. Right? He looked up his eyes and he seen this place where, where death was awaiting. And it's funny, at one time, we all see death at a distance. In reality, we're all approaching that same place. We're all approaching death. All of us looks at death at a distance. And before you know it, that starts getting closer, Ron, and closer and closer. I'm not trying to be fanciful with the text. Let us be mindful again when the text tells us that Abraham looked up and saw, there's a narrative hint there. But more on that later. But again, this is all about Abraham's mindset, his worldview, so to speak. I, I mentioned the writer of Hebrew deals directly with this text. The, the Hebrew writer assessment is that God, that Abraham had an eternal... See, here's the thing. We, we want it. Don't be fanciful here. Abraham was looking at the place of death, but Abraham had an eternal view of death. 
He, see, the writer of Hebrews gives us one hint saying that, that Abraham believed that God would raise Isaac because Abraham had an eternal view of death. Praise God. Praise God. But there's a lot more. We're given that mindset, but there's, there's more here. And this is not easy for Abraham. Again, the perplexity of God and what's at stake for Abraham. But again, what God is accomplishing here, this is the question and the language will help us assess it. That's why I read slowly. That's why we have to read narrative rightly. Now watch this. Look what it says in verse 5. Abraham tells his men that he's going to worship. And him and, now, and, him and Isaac will return. My question is, does that really happen? Verse 5 says, Isaac, it says, Abraham tells his men that he's going to worship him, worship, and him and Isaac will return. My question is, does that actually happen? The way he says this is very significant part of the text. Everybody's looking in their Bible, right? We'll get to it. In fact, Abraham tells his servants, you stay here, we'll go there. It's funny in the Hebrew, that kind of, I know I rhymed it, but it actually rhymes in the Hebrew. You stay here, I'll go there. Right? It kind of rhymes. Um, so I, I tried to make it rhyme here. Um, and we will return to you. Again, this conversation is very, very, very important to the text. Now they're going, now they're going to the appointed place by God, the meeting place that God has designated. Let us pause just for a minute. Here's my question. Me first. Is there anything in this life more important to you than God? That's the question. Be careful how we answer so quickly. Just think about this. Is there anything in this life that's more important to you than God? That's a serious question. Because that's the question that's being asked of Abraham. Is there anything in this life that's more important than God? And this is Pastor Dominic Romaldi with Street Talk Theology. I hope you were challenged and encouraged by the first part of the sermon, The Binding of Isaac. And remember, this is Street Talk Theology, where we take theology and we bring it to the streets. Thank you for joining us for Street Talk Theology with Pastor Dominic Grimaldi. You can visit Pastor Dom at Desert Sky Baptist Church at 891 West Corson Road, Casa Grande. And for more information, visit us online at www.desertskybaptist.org.